Hi, listener. Welcome to this Yellow Vision podcast, where my guests and I discuss our goals and our vision for ourselves within the entertainment industry, because the sky truly is the limit. I'm your host, Esther T. Furman of Miss Yellow Productions. Let's get things rolling. Rolling, rolling. Today's guest is actress Don Maria Gomez. I met her at an acting class in Washington, D.C., and now here she is. Don, I wanted to take us back to like the winter of 2014. I had walked into a John Bellotta class and I saw people working monologues and putting scenes on their feet. And I think you were doing a scene from Orange is the New Black. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was so impressive. What was your first acting class ever? I started acting when I was in second grade in my very first play. I was little Miss Marshmallow. And uh, so sweet. <laughs> the funny thing was that when people were laughing at me, I thought they were laughing at me because I was bad, not because I was cute. Does that make sense? So I felt really bad and I was complaining to my mom and I'm like, I did so terribly. And she's like, no, they were just thought you were so cute. <laughs> Flash forward to <laughs> 2005. That was my first acting class. I was at Howard Community College and taking uh, nursing courses, but decided to use the um, free elective for arts and humanities and took intro to acting, acting one. Yeah. So one of my assignments was to audition for a play and, you know, we didn't have to get it. We just had to audition. Well, I got the part and I was only one of two African-Americans in the part, in the play called Letters to Santa. And I played gingerbread cookie. And she has a specific walk. And she had this laugh that came out of nowhere. I just went. (laughs) 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 And the rest was history. And the acting, it was, I was always an entertainer. I played flute. I sang. So adding acting was like kind of like a trifecta for me. But that was my very first class. Uh, Do you have a, a degree in it now? I do. I have an associate's degree and I'm working at UMBC now to get my bachelor's in performing arts. Yay. And then I'll be going off for my master's. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you I'm so very much. motivated. Yeah. You have to constantly train. I don't think people understand that as actors, like no matter what level you consistently train all the time. So it's always a life. It's a life journey. So now do you have a preference over stage work um, compared to screen work? I love the energy of the screen because, you know, when you're on set and the cameras are going and the dolly's moving and the grip is here and this director's over there and the 80s, there's this excitement. And I, you know, being a native New Yorker, I'm full of excitement, right? So anytime I could, I could get that, that jolt, I'm, I'm there. But stage is disciplinary. You don't have a second chance to go take two. You don't. <laughs> You don't have a chance to, you know, have somebody fill in for you or, you know, you really have to be on your P's and Q's. So I'm glad I started in theater first and then moved on to TV and film and voiceover because it just gave me that, um, that discipline, that drive, that tenacity, you know, it gave me all those factors and the hard work that it carries over to TV and film. Yeah. And I always tell people that you can, you can pull somebody down. So theater is very big and TV is very small. You could pull somebody down, but you can't pull somebody up. (laughs) 
Now, can you tell us about a time you had a, a wardrobe malfunction on stage? Yes. <laughs> uh, letters to Santa, gingerbread cookie, ginger waddles in, and she's late. So she's just supposed to hurry up and sit down. Well, I devised a way to just plop down. And that's all you would hear is the plop, which made people laugh. But this particular performance, I plopped down on a nail that was sticking out of the stage. <laughs> and I had to pivot. So I kind of gingerly pivoted, but it ripped the back of my tights. And I had to sit there for a moment, still do my line, then get up, waddle over. And after the scene was over, come off and change tights. Or one of my directors for a TYA production forgot all of my costumes. It's so tight. Oh, no. No way. <laughs> the look on her face. She kept saying, go to the car and get your costumes. I'm like, I did. They aren't there. She said, yes, they're there. But she went. They aren't there. So I had to borrow from my other scene mates. I think one of the things I love about me, you know, we don't always say what we love about ourselves. But one of the things I love is the fact that I can adapt. I'm very quick on the feet and quick on the draw. So I was able to adapt. Now, you said you're adaptable, so can you tell us about a time that you forgot a line on stage and how you guys played it off? Um, so I was part of something called the Suicide Journals, written by Veronique McRae. Um, I was the emergency replacement, so I had six days to learn a 25-page script, <laughs> um, and then drove all night to Charlotte, North Carolina, to perform at the Boom Festival, and the first night... I forgot a segment. <laughs> and so I remember just looking at the audience and then just looking over, you know, like looking at two people in the audience and just shaking my head because I had said a very, very powerful line prior. And then I picked up another line that wor it worked. So no one knew. You had mentioned the flute earlier. So did you take lessons when you were little? I did. I started playing the flute in the third grade, went all the way, won a John Philip Sousa Music Award for my flute. And then went to a school in Connecticut. I was in Connecticut for a couple of years called ECA. Um, I did do the flute there. I started to sing and learn how to sing different works, classical, you know, opera, things of that magnitude. But I always played the flute because I only took the flute because they said it would help with my voice. So, and it was also my mother's favorite instrument. So there was a little pressure there. <laughs> But it's so important to have somebody like trying to push you when you're young, you know, that's what a mother's job is, I think, to try to have their kid be the best they can be. Oh, yeah. I, you know, there's a balance with that. There's a, there's a fine line where it becomes overbearing. So I remember introducing the flute to my own daughter and she was like, yeah, I'm not feeling this. I'm like, okay, you know, you tried it. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. I didn't beat her up over it. Um, so, yeah, I think I think we could introduce our children to stuff and, you know, see see where the path is. Like I was a cheerleader. I told her she could cheer, but she wound up um, being a baton, you know, two baton, three baton. Like she can twirl me. I picked up a baton and hit myself in the head. And I was like, nope. Oh, yeah. That's OK. I'm not that coordinated. <laughs> Where's yeah. the you need, <laughs> you need coordination for all that. You do. And I ran track and I played volleyball. This is all BCM before children and marriage. But uh, so again, the perfectionist comes into play and I always have, I have an issue with being stagnant, if that makes sense. I don't ever want any form of complacency. I don't want to just be at the same level all the time. And so I'm constantly pushing myself to the next level. That was one of the things behind becoming union and things of that magnitude. I did not want to just stay at one level and I'm still pushing and I'm still, you know, 
striving for that, you know, that ultimate, whatever that may be. Just think that there's, and then there's times where that has, that can be a little imbalanced because you have to sometimes step back and say, okay, I did accomplish a lot. Okay. Look at what I did do and give yourself that credit. How do you keep that motivation going? I think the biggest thing to know, and this took me some time because it can be frustrating. You can feel like, well, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I don't have the skill set. And then you see other people and you should never, ever, 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 ever compare yourself to other people. Never, never. But sometimes it's, it's easier said than right. done, right? We're it, Actors are extremely sensitive creatures. We're very sensitive about our work, about who we are. And I think that's what makes us, you know, that vulnerability and that emotion is what makes us the actors that we are. But for me, it started just creating my own works. So. I wrote a one, it was in college, but I wrote a one woman show along with my girlfriend, Veronique Beckray, um, that I performed. It was a challenge because I wanted, I didn't want to take certain classes. I wanted an independent study class and I chose to write my, <laughs> write my own play. And then I'm in the works of writing other stuff too. Other uh, two shorts I'm writing, a film I'm writing, a series I'm writing. So I think it's just keeping busy, like doing your own works. In between the time, knowing that everybody has to have that one yes, and you will get that one yes out of the thousand no's. And that one yes is what can propel you into whatever that next level is. And for most actors, if you're TV and film, it's the, you know, TV, it's the series regular, right? Film is the big blockbuster, you know, stages, you know, the Broadway production, voiceover, you know, that type of thing. So that's, that's, I think that's what keeps me going and knowing that. I'm always improving and that work does come. It's just a matter of pushing and, and not, which is easier said than done, not really taking it personally and thinking that it's something you're doing wrong, but whether or not it's just not the time and the time is coming. It's like right there and you're probably closer than you think. Yeah. Yes. Excellent. That's good words of advice. Thank you. Okay. Well, you know that a lot of us wear a lot of different hats in this industry. So <laughs> I wanted to get into the time you were a stage director. Can you tell us about that? It was for the TYA production, the TYA production in one of the projects at CCBC, uh, Community College of Baltimore County. I was a backstage manager for that. That's stressful to coordinate everything. Actors, making sure the props are there, making sure wardrobe is there. In fact, uh, the one I did, I was um, doing this, the actual pulling open and closing the, the curtain and doing the stage makeup, the special stage makeup, because that particular piece... Um, they needed, you know, some bruising and cuts, abrasions. So I did that. <laughs> Just trying to coordinate. And then they were out of trouble with wardrobe. So I was helping people in and out of costumes, making sure the costumes were there. It's just the coordination of everything and making sure that you know the cues, making sure you know the cues, what, where am I supposed to be when this cue happens and they have the right thing. And if there's a wardrobe malfunction, to fix it as close as possible. <laughs> show must go on type, you know, keep that ideology in your head. You'll be fine. <laughs> it's just the orchestra. It's like you being the conductor, you know, and strings, now wardrobe. Now, yeah. Sounds like a lot of running around. It is. <laughs> it is. It, I'm not gonna lie. It is. <laughs> so make sure you have great footwear. <laughs> Try not to wear anything that's going to overheat you. You're going to be hot. So, Don, I wanted to ask you how you deal with the naysayers and just negativity in general. Because if people take a look at us, they would say, you know, you're too short and you're not glamorous enough. What makes you think that you belong in front of an audience? How do you deal with that negativity? That's a very good question. And I'm glad you brought that up because 
I remember a director telling me, and I've never forgotten this, Don, you're a very versatile actor. I don't think there's anything you can't do. There's no role you can't. But you're going to have to kind of be a size two in order to be in this industry. I remember looking at him and going, there's plenty of people who are plus size. There's all kinds. There's all kinds of roles. Number one, there's a role for everybody. Not every actor wants the same role. There's room for all of us. But to sit there and say that because you're thicker, you're not going to get the work. And that messed with me for years. I'm not going to lie. That was a proverbial loop in my head that just played. And it made me kind of back up a little bit. And I remember a casting, a manager, I remember you know, having a conversation with her, I said, you know, do you think it's my weight that's causing me not to move forward and get the roles, you know, because I don't want to play the mammy role. I don't want to play the mom. I don't want to play the neighbor next door, you know, the Afrocentric, you know, waving up your neck, the stereotypical things that people do to us in this industry. And she said, you know what you have to do? You have to just get people to fall in love with you. That's it. Get people to fall in love with you. And it won't matter what you look like. Okay. And I never forgot those words. I never forgot those words. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. Another thing that you have to do is, again, create your own work so people can see you in the roles that you want and not pigeonhole you. Because it is tough. I've had family that thought that I was crazy to wait until I'm in my 40s and, and now my 50s to take on acting. Are you nuts? You know, you've got kids. Get a real job. Does that pay? All the things that people say to you. After a while, it does kind of become grading, but then you have to look. I usually, what I'll do is I'll look at a work that I'm really proud of and remember that's why I do it. Or when I get a role that I'm just excited about, remember that's why I do it. So it's, it takes a lot of talking yourself off that fence and saying, wait a minute, why am I doing this? If you're doing this for fame or money, and that's your only objective, then this is not the field for you. If you're doing this because you love the work, and of course you need, would do this, no, everybody should get paid, right? That, that kind of comes along with it. But the journey, creating a story, the telling of a story, the, that, that fire that happens, you know, the nerves, all those things that happen, the excitement, that's what should keep you in it. And once you remember that, the naysayers go away because you have to look at it. Usually these people who are saying this are doing it one, two reasons, either A, they have not fulfilled their dreams. So why should you? So why should you? Or two, they don't see where it's a traditional nine to five. You punch a clock, you go here, you punch out. Because they've been conditioned. That's that's the only way life should be is you punch in the clock, you do your hours, you punch out, you go home. Friday, your paycheck's there, et cetera, et cetera. There's more than one way. I hate to say it because I have cats, but there's more than one way to skin a cat. And, you know. That's what you have to look at and ignore. It takes a lot. It takes a lot to ignore people, but ignore them. I guess you're right because it it's not possible or they can't imagine that for themselves. They want to project that onto other people. Exactly. It's all projection. It's all projection because I'll guarantee you this. If you are this A-lister, everybody who's known you say, oh, I knew her when. Oh, I remember going to her play. Oh, yeah, she always said it. I knew she could do it. And you all just look kind of cross-eyed like, what are you talking about? You were, the one- <laughs> you were the one that said, why are you doing this? What are you-? And I'm sorry. I, 
I'm a true native New Yorker. Okay. I will call you out on your stuff. So if you say that to me, I'm going to be like, but you were the one that said ABCDFG. People all do that. People are very sad. (laughs) So make you realize that. So crazy. You know, as long as you're unsuccessful, they'll, they'll, they'll talk about you. But when you're successful, I knew her when she was my friend. I remember seeing this. Yeah. I went to school with her. I, you know. All of the above. Is there anything coming up that you wanted to plug or let us know about? Um, I'm about to direct something huge, huge, huge for me and for it's a one another one woman play I'm directing. So excited! Can't wait to. I can't. I wish I could say more about that, but it's this is big. I just did Peace in the Morning Star, uh, where I play Arabella, who's kind of like an ancestor. She's kind of alive, but kind of not. That was so much fun. Um, I am working on. Maleficence, which I'm writing and looking forward to telling that tale about a nurse that has to determine, does she keep within the specs of nursing and, you know, the honor of that, or does she seek revenge? So I'm working on those things and um, the sky's the limit. I'm just excited to see where 2023, this is the first thing I've done this podcast. So thank you. Well, thank you for taking the time to speak with me. I would like to thank my friend Dawn for being my guest this week. Don't forget to check out all the resources in the show notes. And please join me for another episode of Cielovision, where I talk to a different industry insider. I'm grateful to you, my friends, and I'm grateful for this hot cup of tea. It was minus four the other day, so until next time, stay warm.